you got your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 2. We're in a current, our current series is in the book of Philippians. I felt like the Lord wanted to get through Philippians in a matter of four weeks, four chapters, one, one chapter per week. So it's a lot. I felt, I walked away from last Sunday's message like I might have gave the people too much. <laughs> uh, we did go long last week. That wasn't all my fault. We had an extended part in worship, so uh, it was God's fault. But anyway, so... So we're in the book of Philippians, and last week's message was about being like Jesus. The title was Be Like Jesus. Um, simple title, simple lesson. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it again. Um, Paul is teaching this church that he planted uh, sometime before uh, how to be like Jesus, how to think like Jesus, how to be transformed by Jesus, and then how to do what Jesus does. Or do like Jesus. And so Paul's teaching this church that he planted in Philippians or in Philippi. And he's writing this letter from a Roman prison. Which has its own set of consequences and, and, and complications and um, difficulties. Because he couldn't call anybody. He had to write them a letter. And then he had to, there wasn't UPS. <laughs> it, was, it was a brother, a trusted brother that would bring it. And travel a long distance to go bring the letter. And that's how Paul encouraged the church that he planted with, was, was with these letters that he wrote from prison. Last week I shared something with you that Paul rarely had a pulpit, but he always seemed to have had a prison. And known as one of the greatest preachers in the New Testament, Paul did some of his best preaching from his prison. It seemed to me like Paul wasn't worried about getting out of prison. He was more worried about pushing forward the kingdom. His prison was just something that irritated him, something that confined him, something that restrained him to some degree, but he didn't even let that hold him back. So his prison wasn't his purpose. It was just his platform. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in our struggles that they become our platform. My struggle is my platform, and it's not your platform. Or it may be the place to which you preach from, but it's not your purpose. So if you're struggling, struggle. Struggle the best you can. Knowing that Jesus is with you the whole way. He's not going to leave you alone just because you're struggling. Just because you got troubles. Just because things aren't going your way. By the way, that's usually a good thing. <laughs> so Paul did most of his best preaching from a prison. And was able to advance the gospel and advance the kingdom of God and plant churches all over. So when I study Paul, and Paul's one of my favorite guys in the New Testament, probably next to Peter. Peter's kind of my favorite. Um, but Paul is, is one of those guys I just go, Paul was really cool. I can't wait to meet Paul after I meet Jesus. <laughs> Paul never comes before Jesus. Come on, somebody. <laughs> So Paul's teaching the church in chapter 2, as an overview, there's a lot of things in chapter 2, but as an overview, Paul's teaching the church how to think like Jesus. I want to start with a statement. You might want to write this down, typically, or maybe written down for you. Typically, our actions are the fruit of our deepest thoughts. Typically, your actions are the fruit of your deepest thoughts. 
how you think about yourself, how you think about others, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about others, what you believe about your circumstances, what you believe about the world, your worldview. All these deep thoughts inside of you are usually the things that lead to the actions that you have or that you take. And so we have to be careful about what we're thinking about. The Bible tells us to think about what we're thinking about. If you didn't have enough to think about already. <laughs> so Philippians chapter 2, we covered these, these first four verses a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to review them quickly just to show you something, and then we'll move on to, to verse 5. But chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, listen to what Paul says. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? <laughs> then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't, be, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your, your own interests, but take an interest in others too. When's the last time you saw a theme like that come from something in the media of this world? When's the last time you've seen some kind of thought like that come from social media? It's more self-help, self-edifying, self-get-me-out-of-trouble than it is think of others as better than yourself. Most people don't want to think of others as better than themselves because they already don't think highly of themselves. So to think of somebody as greater than me pushes me down even further. So Paul, in the first verse, reflects on all that has been done in, his, in, in their lives. He's, he's asking questions to get them to remember all that God has done in your life. And some of you are struggling with sin. Some of you are struggling with decisions because you've forgotten what God's delivered you from. You've forgotten it. You've allowed the enemy to distract you, to distort you, and you've forgotten that God delivered you. He called you. He set you free. He put you in a place of life. He gave you a spiritual family, and you're booting like nothing ever happened to you. So Paul, in the first verse, is asking questions to get them to reflect on all that Christ has done in their life. That's important. So listen to me clearly. You need to remember all that God has done in your life. You need to remember that. But you don't need to live there. Because the next verse and the several verses after that, Paul shifts the theme. He shifts the thinking to where? To others. So watch what happens. Remember what Christ has done in you. Rediscover the joy of that. And then turn around and give it to others. Ah, this is Christianity. This is the way it's supposed to be. Remember, celebrate, rejoice all that God has done. Brag about it. For the love of God, brag about what God has done in your life. Right? But then turn around and give it to other people. Paul refused to let the church stay on itself. He refused to keep them from thinking about only themselves. Our attitude towards others is a direct reflection 
of our security in Christ. My attitude towards others is a reflection of the security that I find in Christ. If I'm not secure in Christ, I'm not thinking much about others. I'm not even treating others very well. I won't even get into their business or get low with them or go to a place where I can meet them because I'm not even sure who I am. So that's what Paul covers in the first four verses. There's a lot in there. We're not going to break it apart this morning. Verse 5, Paul says this. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling the church to renew their mind. You weren't born with the mind of Christ, but when you were born again, you were given the mind of Christ. There needs to be a renewal. There needs to be a renewing of your thinking. Paul is teaching the church that we need to think like Jesus thinks, not like the world thinks, not like Papa thought, not like Mama thought. Come on, somebody. We need to think like Jesus, not like my neighbors, not like my friends. I need to think like Jesus. If I'm going to change my thoughts, I need to change them to think like Jesus. Not even to think like the church. Paul didn't say let the mind of the church be on you. He said let the mind of Christ be on you. So Paul is is presenting thinking like Jesus almost as a requirement. He's saying let this mind be on you. Like there's an importance to it. Like if you're ever going to fulfill the will of God, if you're ever going to live a victorious life, something's got to change in your thinking. Look at your neighbor and say, it might be time to think a new thought. But get it from Jesus. (laughs) So the word mind in the Greek is the word phronio. And it means to think. It literally means to think. So Paul is telling them to think like Jesus. It also means to be minded in a certain way. You see, the problem we wrestle with most days is that we're, we're, we're wrestling with thinking like the world, being influenced by the world, thinking like the world, but then trying to think like Christ. And so there's this mental thing going on inside of us. I want to think like Jesus, but I've got so much of this world in me that I just can't help but think. And so there's this wrestle that's going on. And Paul is telling them, you need to think in a certain way. You need to change the way you're thinking. It implies a moral interest. It it implies a reflection. Like we need to reflect on some things. If you're not aware of this, God is telling our Savior's Church Eunice to learn how to sit down, be still, shut up, and just listen. If I can say it bluntly. That's the theme that God's been working into us so far this year. Just sit still and know that I'm God. Listen to me. Shut the world out and listen to me. So there is a need to be intentional in changing the way you think. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, it's hard to think like Jesus if you're not willing to hang out with Jesus. Sunday is not enough to change your mind. Preach, preacher. It's not. You're going to have to hang out with Jesus. If you'll pay attention to the way you think, you typically think of like the people you hang out with. You're influenced by something. We're all being influenced by something. Why not change who you're hanging out with? Why not spend more time with Jesus? Hang out with Jesus. Listen to how he talks. Listen to how he responds. That was the discipleship that happened with the, with the disciples in Jesus is they did life with Jesus and they said, this is drastically different than everything I've ever known in my life. I'm going to imitate what I've seen here. I'm going to start to think like he thinks and my life's being transformed the whole time. But I want to warn you this morning that anything God does in your life usually starts with humility. Your favorite word. <laughs> it usually starts with humility. So let's go to verse 6 because Paul's starting to tell us how Jesus thinks and you need to pay attention to this because there's a big old lesson in this thing. And it's, it's as obvious as can be, but you can miss it. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Though, he's talking about Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. We're going to go verse by verse for a minute. Even though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something that he could hold on to. Jesus was God, even though he was human. He had all the essence that God has, even though he's human. But he didn't think of his equality with God as something to cling on to. I'm starting to think Jesus wanted to embrace humanity, embrace the feelings and all the stuff that comes with humanity so that he could then best lead humanity to God. Can, can I say that? So he, he didn't cling to his privileges. He didn't cling to his royalty. He didn't cling to his majesty. He let go of those things. Not that he lost them because he can't lose them because he's God, but he didn't cling to them because he wanted to reach humanity. And the only way to reach humanity is to get with humanity. So he let go of his equality with God. It's interesting. He never gave up his essence as God. He only gave up his privileges as God. There's some good stuff in this. You see, he didn't feel the need to 
to cling to his privileges because he thought he might lose them. Why do we hang on to stuff sometimes that we shouldn't be hanging on to because we're afraid to lose them? Jesus wasn't afraid to lose his privileges, his equality with God. He knew who he was. But instead of clinging to it, he let go of it. He didn't consider himself equal to God in his existence on the earth. He had equality but chose not to cling to it. How do you do that? I don't know. I've never been God before. When your identity is secure, you have no issue lowering yourself for the greater cause of Christ, watch this, without fear of insecurity. I'm going to say it again. When your identity is secure, when you know who you belong to, you have no issues lowering yourself for the greater cause of Christ in fear that I might become insecure, in fear that I might lose something, in fear that I might be seen a different way. When your security is in Christ, you can lower yourself and God can raise you up and you can lower yourself again and you can come in and out and in and out and never lose anything. And you have no issues lowering yourself because you already know who you are. Verse 7. So he didn't cling to his privileges. He didn't, he didn't think of equality with, with God as something to cling to. Verse 7. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He gave up his divine privileges. The, the religious leaders had an issue accepting Jesus because Jesus didn't come blinged out. He came plain. He lowered himself from his own throne and he got on the level with humanity that he wanted to reach. But the religious people who didn't, who struggled to lower themselves couldn't accept that he didn't come in shining clothes and, and gold and all these. They couldn't accept him because he was too plain. One day when you get your identity secure in Christ, people are going to have a hard time accepting you. Because they can't manipulate you anymore. So Jesus emptied himself of the divine to become like mankind. He positioned himself as a slave. Can you see Jesus? He, he left the throne and came down to become a slave. Even his disciples had a hard time with what he was trying to accomplish because they thought he should have been doing it a different way. Peter struggled when Jesus went to wash his feet 
because Peter had a revelation of who Jesus was, but he couldn't accept that Jesus was still willing to lower himself to the lowest place and wash his feet. He couldn't accept it. I want you to notice, though, that Jesus positioned himself. No one did that to him. G. Campbell Morgan said this when he talks about Jesus in, in Philippians. He said, he said, Jesus has some characteristics that are worth following, two, two main characteristics. He said, number one, Jesus was self-emptying. Jesus knew how to empty himself. He knew how to empty himself of his own status. He knew how to empty himself of people's opinions. He knew how to empty himself of whatever was bothering him. He knew how to empty himself. He could self-empty. The second characteristic that G. Campbell Morgan said that Jesus has is self-sacrificing service. Now, if you're full of yourself, my friend, you have a hard time with the second one. Because when you're full of yourself, you're not thinking about other people. Jesus knew how to empty himself. I, I can only imagine some of the thoughts he might have had at times when he had to empty himself in an extreme way. I think it reminds me of his time in the garden when he was praying and he brought the three with him and they fell asleep and Jesus is crying out to God if there's another way beside the cross. And he, that's one of the, the only times we see this expression of him wrestling to empty himself. Come on. We see it. We see the humanity in Jesus in that moment where he's crying out to the point where it looks like he's bleeding through his sweat. And he's going, Lord, if there's another way, but I'll still do it this way. But is there another way? He was wrestling to empty himself to go and self-sacrificely serve other people. He was wrestling with it. Listen to me. If Jesus wrestled with it, we're going to wrestle with it. We're gonna, there's going to be times where we don't want to empty ourselves. There's going to be times when we want, we'd like to stay full of ourselves. Well, it's about me for a little while. He emptied himself. And he self-sacrificed in service. So he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. Paul is teaching us how Jesus thought. He's teaching us the roots of his thoughts. He's, he's teaching us the basis of Jesus' thinking. Verse 7. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Can you just say it's getting better and better? 
When he appeared, that's the second half of verse 7, when he appeared in human form, verse 8 says he humbled himself in obedience to God and died. What kind of death? A criminal's death. Wow. Let me, let me help you with something today. Humbling yourself and realizing that I need to change the way I think does not mean that you're already thinking wrong. It means that your thinking needs to grow. So when you humble yourself, it's not because you've done something wrong. It's you're humbling yourself to do something greater. Come on. So, so hum, don't think of humbling yourself as a bad thing, like, oh, I'm broken. Oh, I'm messed up. I need to humble myself in repentance. Just humble yourself so God can use you more. Jesus made no mistakes, yet he humbled himself and died a criminal's death on the cross, the worst death you could die. So he, how does Jesus get to the cross? He gets to the cross because of the security that he has. He's secure in who he is. He's not worried about losing something. Some of you are going to have to just buy into this truth that when you gave your life to Jesus, you were born again, you were adopted into his family, he wrote your whole name in his book, and he didn't leave a question mark next to it. You're already bought in, like you're there. You're a believer. You're born again. Your sin was washed away. You need to accept that, embrace that, and let that be the foundation of your identity. I'm not perfect. I'm born again. I'm not, I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. Come on, I don't need what the world has to offer because I got everything that heaven has to offer. I'm connected. I'm adopted. Come on, somebody. Some of you need to buy into that truth and stop wondering and wavering back and forth. Are you born again or not? And when you know who you belong to, you can lower yourself and wash other people's feet and it doesn't matter what people think or say. Because I know who I am. So if I lower myself, I'm not losing anything. You see, there's no climbing the ladder in the kingdom. It's actually reverse. It's who stays at the bottom, who stays low. Jesus said that. The greatest among you will be the least. That's not how the world thinks. The world says you got to step on everybody's head till you get to the top. I was going to try to step on the top, but I didn't want to fall and land on somebody. And then we had to get the ambulance over here again. And I didn't want to do that. So, because I would have forced somebody to lower themselves. <laughs> it made for a memorable service, but... I'm just, I just want you to understand today that when you know who you are and you're not wondering anymore, you can stand in front of anything. You can stand in front of anybody. You can then do anything that God asks you to do and you ain't worried about it. Maybe your fear of obedience is your lack of identity in Christ or lack of security in Christ. 
Maybe you're too insecure to obey God. Because when God tells you to do something, you're still wondering who you are. You're going to have a hard time doing what he's told you to do. When your security is good and your identity is good, or your identity is secure, lowering yourself, you have no issues with it. But know that you'll wrestle. Can we just be real this morning? You will wrestle. There's days I want stuff to be about me. There's days I want some tata. Come on, there's days I feel like, man, somebody needs to love on me for a little while. I put those expectations on my wife. She crumbles under that pressure sometimes. But she's a fighter. She'll tell me, you better give him go get Jesus, boy. You better go in that office and meet Jesus. I'm not your Jesus. He gave his life all the way to the cross as a criminal. Can you see that, that Jesus, that king, the king lowered himself to a criminal's level and he was glad to do it? Do you see the way Jesus was thinking? If I'll lower myself, all these others can live. Come on. God has people he wants you to reach. He's just waiting on you to get secure enough to lower yourself to reach him. Can I tell you today, people don't want to hear preaching. They don't want to hear preaching. They want to see preaching. They want to see it. It's like the, like the world's telling us, y'all need to shut up and just show up. And heaven's going, A to the men. <laughs> y'all need to show up. <laughs> So the king lowered himself to a criminal's level and was glad to do it for others. Verse 17 and 18, listen to what Paul says. Now this is Paul speaking to the church directly, not about Jesus. He's speaking about himself. He says, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. That's a big statement. I hope you notice that Paul's thinking is starting to get a lot like Jesus' thinking. Paul starting to think of his own life a lot like Jesus thought of his own life. Paul got there because he learned how to hang out with Jesus. Paul didn't have the Bible. He was writing the Bible. Come on, somebody. 
So Paul was writing from experience, but he was growing like Jesus through experience with Jesus. He hung out with Jesus, and because he could hang out with Jesus, he started to think like Jesus. Then he started to talk like Jesus. Then he started to do like Jesus. The whole time he was being transformed by Jesus. Your transformation is found in your proximity to Jesus. So Paul is saying, I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Can I be honest with you? It's your pastor. I'm just like, I don't know if I'm there yet. Like, I don't like pain. <laughs> I don't like shame. I don't like to be embarrassed. That's probably one of my biggest things. I hate to be embarrassed. But I'm not going to live there. I'm asking Jesus to change my mind. I'm intentionally making room for Jesus in my life. I'm not just saying, could you come? And he goes, well, there ain't no room. Your schedule's so tight, your life's so busy, there ain't no room. If you'll make room, I'll come and sit down with you. I make room for him. I have time for him. I make room. I want to sit down with him. I want to hear his voice. I want to talk back and forth to him. Why? That's the only way I'll ever be transformed by him. So I'm not content to stay where I am. I'm not where I used to be, but this is not my stopping place. The more Paul knew Jesus, the more Jesus influenced Paul's thinking. And then Paul says, I want to share in that joy, and I want you to share in that joy. I'm like, what joy? There's joy in there? Dying to myself? Lowering my self-emptying, self-sacrificing service to others? There's joy in that? Like, for real? What is that joy? That joy is found when you start to understand that every time I lower myself, eternity has changed. Every time I get low in obedience to Christ and serve somebody else and reach them with the gospel, not with my mouth, but with my hands or my abilities or my resources, that there's an eternal consequence that happens. That's where the joy is found. I'm not just lowering myself because Jesus wants to make me look like a fool. I'm lowering myself because he has a purpose for me to get low. He has a purpose for me to go out and obey. And that my obedience does something in eternity. So I go, okay, every time Jesus wants me to get low, every time he tells me to do something or asks me to do something, I'm going to do it knowing that one day me and that person is going to talk about it in heaven. The joy is found when you get to bring people along. Paul backs up, let's back up to verse 13, because Paul says something that I want to I end with. But I'm actually going to read, since you got your Bibles with you, and I know I can hear you clicking and turning pages and all that good stuff. 
I'm going to read a little bit more than what's on the screen, so don't, don't freak out. It's nobody's fault. It's something I decided to do. Philippians 2.12, we're going to start at 12. I want you just to hear this whole thought that, that Paul has right after he tells them to think like Jesus. Paul says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Now that I'm away, it is even more important. Watch this. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. He didn't say work hard for salvation. He said, let your hard work be the fruit of your salvation. Work hard to show your salvation to others. But we don't like that word, huh? Work hard, hard work, no matter how you twist that thing. Like it just puts a little, uh, and you're like, work hard, work hard already. Well, let's work hard on the right things. <laughs> work hard to show the results of your salvation. Watch this. Obeying God, here it is, with deep reverence and fear. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you. This is so cool. Verse 13 is like, verse 13 is like the best. Listen to what it says. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You know what that tells me? I don't have to muster it up myself. He's working in me to give me the desire, that's the want to, and the power to do it, whatever pleases him. The only way I change that is by resisting. He's working. Look at your name and say, he's working. He's always working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do it. Just stop resisting. <laughs> Let him work in you. Someday your greatest victory is just to stop resisting. <laughs> like, just quit putting up a fight. I surrender all. I surrender. Verse 14, do everything without complaining and arguing. Can I get a boom, shalak, lock, boom? Do everything. That means you're going to have to change the way your social media looks. Come on, somebody. <laughs> do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Oh, why would they criticize you for complaining and arguing? Because when you're complaining and you're arguing, you look like the world. So then you can get criticized like the world. But when you're not complaining and you're not arguing, you look like heaven. And ain't nobody can criticize you for that. So that no one can criticize you. Live clean. That's self-explanatory. Live clean. <laughs> And that don't mean just take a bath. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Live holy, set apart. <laughs> Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining bright, shining like bright lights in the world full of crooked and perverse people. Hello. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even more when I lose my life. Tell me you're seeing it. My God, tell me you're seeing it. I don't think right. I don't think right. I think better, but I don't think right. I'm asking Jesus to transform my mind, to renew my mind. 
I realize that the more I hang out with him, the more he influences me. So I'm going to hang out with him even more because I want to speed up this process a little bit. Because I don't know when the world's going to end. I don't know when my last day is. So I want to end well. So my intentions to end well says I'm going to spend time with Jesus. I'm going to listen better. I'm going to push more distractions away. And I'm going to pour my life out like an offering, like a liquid offering to Jesus. Because I don't want to be standing in eternity one day going, I just didn't realize what time it was. God. (laughs) Let me help you with this and I'm going to shut it down. Paul said, In verse 17, I will rejoice even if I lose my life. He wasn't necessarily talking about death. He could mean the life that he intended for himself. Sometimes losing your life is not death. It's just losing your own will for your life. Your own plans for your life. Your own expectations for your life. Ah, He said, I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. And I was sitting with the Lord and I said, do I do that? And he said, yeah, you're getting better at it. I said, really? He encouraged me. I said, really? He said, yeah, you're getting better at it. Now you got a little ways to go, don't get prideful, but you're getting better at it. I was like, great. I said, well, show me what it looks like. He said, okay, because he has to talk to me very plainly because he knows I like to understand. He said, well, it's like any day that you have your plan set and something or someone comes in and interrupts it. And you know how you feel. I'm like, what you talking about? You get frustrated, boy. You get frustrated. You get irritated because you had your plans. You take pride in making plans. You're a plan maker, and you like to execute the plan. And when the plan gets messed up, you you pout. And so, so he said, well, you know how it is when somebody comes and they mess up your plans, and it's a it's a God moment, it's a ministry moment, and and you don't feel like it, and you don't want to do it, and you you get all these excuses running through your head on why you can't do it, and you want to tell people some things like like I ain't got time. You need to call somebody else. I'm off today. I took the collar off. I'm off. Sorry, I had a moment, but that was scary. He said, you know how you feel when that happens? I said, yes, sir. He said, when you go and you do it anyway, that's pouring your life out as a liquid offering. And this is what I've learned. God lets me make my plans. The Bible tells us that in his his heart a man can plan his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Okay? So he, he lets me make my plans. And for the most part, I get to execute my plans. But every now and then, he comes across and he messes up my plans with these God moments. And I go, ah, we got the whole emotional roller coaster wrestle thing, and, and the Holy Ghost hopefully wins. And I go and I do it, and I go, but what about my time? Look, I was going to get this done today, and I was going to do that. And he goes, I got that. Watch this. 
I don't do it for this, but this is what I've noticed from my experience, that when I pour out my life out for Christ as a liquid offering, especially when it's messing up my plans and my purposes, he's already prepared a blessing somewhere down the road to bless me for doing that, and it's there, and you walk into that, and you go, oh, this is cool. I like this. So I don't do it to get the blessing. I do it because I love him. But I know that by experience, when he messes up my plans, he usually comes back around and blesses me in some way, shape, or form. And I go, you're really good. Like, you really know what you're doing. You see? And then what happens in the process of me dying to self is that I actually start to live. I actually start to live. I start to live for eternity. I start to live for the kingdom because I'm not living for me anymore. And then you get to discover what verse, the end of verse 17 and 18 says. That I, and I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. You know what Paul was really trying to do? He was truly, really trying to get the church to change the way they thought so that they would think more like Jesus, and then they would experience more of the joy of Jesus by changing the way they think, which changes what you do, which changes what you experience. You tired of the same old experiences? You tired of the same old life? You know how you change your experiences? You change how you react. You change how you think. You change how you do. You do like Jesus says to do. You pour your life out, and then you change the experiences of your life. So how did Jesus think? He thought very humbly. He thought of others more than he thought of himself. He thought of the kingdom and the consequences of his actions and how they would affect the kingdom. Was it hard on him? You bet. Is it going to be hard on us? You bet. You're not going to always get it right. But if you'll keep at it, eventually you'll get it right more than you get it wrong. Paul's teaching the church to be like Jesus. He's teaching us today to be like Jesus and to also think like Jesus. And verse 13, just as a reminder, says that he is working in us to give us the power and the desire to do what pleases him. I don't have to figure it out. I just got to respond. What if the enemies overcomplicated this whole relationship in your mind? What if he's overcomplicated this obedience thing? What if he's overcomplicated the will of God for your life and made it something so far-fetched that you don't even think you can grab it? What if he's convinced you that you can't do anything for God until you're 100%? We thank you for your word. 
is more powerful than a double-edged sword. It pierces even the hardest hearts. God, it pierced mine. Lord, your word today pierced my heart. like when we invite some some of our favorite people over to come for a visit or come stay for a while. We kind of clean things up and we sort things and we organize and we put stuff where it's been needing to be. We don't want the clutter. We don't want the stuff in the way. We want to make sure the sofa's clear and all the laundry's off of it. And There's nothing in the way, just Lord, I pray we'll make room for you in our lives. Like room to come and visit. Room to come and spend time on a consistent basis. Uh, Room to, I I pray we'll find a meeting place, Lord, that be a spot for us. Pray there'll be an expectation for us that turns into an excitement to sit with you and, and listen and know. But Jesus, there would be a moment for us to sit and receive counsel and let you sort things out for us and speak to our confusion and speak to the lies and bathe us in truth and pray, Lord, as we get used to sitting with you and spending time with you that as we're being transformed that we'll start to turn and look to others. We'll start to turn to look to others, not for something, but to give them what we got. To give them something that's eternal, something that'll echo in eternity, something that'll have eternal consequences, not just something that's good, but something that's eternal. It's like Paul opened up chapter 2 with, has God done anything in your life? Great. Now turn around and go out to others and give that to them. And I pray that over this church, God. This is your city. This is your region. It belongs to you, Jesus. We're your ambassadors here representing heaven, a kingdom that not many people know about. Anoint us, empower us, and give us the desire to go and advance your kingdom by reaching people. Reaching people, then turning around and building their lives. Reaching people, reaching the lost and making disciples and reaching more lost and making more disciples. Move in us, Jesus. 
anyone looking around this morning, if you're here and you've, you say, man, I don't know if I'm even in a relationship with Jesus. Like, that seems so far-fetched to me. I don't know if that's even real. I don't, I don't know, but I'd like to find out. And if that's you and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never had a moment where you've encountered him, that can happen today. So it's a private moment. It's between you and Jesus. So nobody looking around this morning, if that's you, you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to surrender. You want to start a brand new relationship with him. Would you just raise your hand real quick? Anybody else? Three. Praise God. Anybody else? You can put them down. Thank you. Jesus, you saw that. All of heaven saw that. And a party just started. And Lord, you pulled out your pen. You opened up your book. and we thank you Lord let's pray this together this morning say it with me say Jesus I come to you today and I need to admit something I've fallen short I've been living my own way and it's not good I've sinned I need help I believe in my heart that Jesus you're the solution you're the one to give me life what you did on the cross is more than enough to pay for my sin to heal my wounds and to give me a new life I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead sitting on a throne right next to him. Now I need to make a confession. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I give it to you. I surrender it. I lay it before you. Would you be my Lord and my Savior? Would you lead me? Would you direct me? And would you start a great work in me that you're capable of finishing? Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, I ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, I pray this morning that you would baptize us fresh and new with your Holy Spirit. Fill us up, Lord. Fill us up. We've been in this dark, perverted world and wrestling with things and fighting things in the spirit and, and it's been rough and Lord, I could sure use a fresh refill right now. Is that anybody in the room? Lord, fill me fresh and new. Baptize us with your spirit, Jesus. Baptize us. We love you, Jesus. 
bless you today. In Jesus' name.